Welcome to Get Up in the Cool Old Time Music with Cameron DeWitt and friends. This week's friends are you all, because this is the third Call Up in the Cool episode. I've really enjoyed doing these this year. My goal is to keep doing these quarterly. As long as y'all keep <laughs> like me doing these every once in a while, I'll keep doing them as long as you keep sending me questions and tune requests. And it's also a, a great way to um, not have to find someone to interview uh, every once in a while. It's kind of a nice little break. And it's a great way for y'all to interact with the show. So I'm just going to jump right into the questions. I'll play the tune first. Okay, my question is, are there tunes of a particular region of the United States that you especially love? Just one area where you found yourself really digging in tune-wise. And I would like to request Old Bowback. Just found an old video of it and you are the one who taught it to me, so I would love to hear you play it. Oh, and um, I guess I should add that you helped me learn this tune from a Mick and Evan Kinney album, and Mick said he learned it from field recordings of Arthur Young from Tate City, Georgia. Brandy Waller-Pace, thank you so much. I miss you, and I hope we can hang out real soon. It was lovely to revisit this tune uh, that we worked on together years ago, and something really interesting happened, which is... Uh, someone, I can actually give their name. They're on YouTube. Um, Sean McCarthy. Uh, Sean McCarthy, come on the show and play some tunes with me. Uh, I guess they had some sort of hard drive and just started uploading stuff onto YouTube. Uh, this 
old Bowback from Arthur Young, uh, they uploaded back in 2022. And we did not have access to this source recording when we were working on this tune. Um, yeah, we we based it on that version that you were saying. And I had heard Adam Hurt play it, I believe, on one of his albums. Such a cool tune. I think that Adam Hurt and I played it as a duet during uh, lockdown when we did our Zoom interview and asynchronous jam. So the versions I've heard are like really groovy and I think often played in sawmill tuning. And yeah, Arthur Young's playing is like kind of hard driving with like a really firm downbeat and not a lot of syncopation. Totally different than what we had worked on. I love our (laughs) version that we and what you've done with it since. But yeah, this is so different. Uh, And uh, I just messaged Brandy after they had sent me this question. And I told them about this new upload on YouTube with the source recording. And they said, OMG, it's like playing telephone, LOL. Don't even have the same downbeat that I learned. (laughs) The crying emoji or crying laughing emoji. Uh, Yeah, I totally agree. So... I really like the groovy syncopated version, but I wanted to capture the vibe of the original, so I did my best. Uh, Thanks, Brandy. Uh, By the way, everyone, if you're able to, go to FlamFest. And if you can't, follow them on social media, at FlamFest on Instagram, F-W-A-A-M-F-E-S-T. The Fort Worth African American Roots Music Festival. Uh, y'all should go to that. Who's playing this year? Um, Lizzie No, Jerron Paxton, Corey Harris, Piedmont Blues, Acoustic Duo, uh, Chris Matthews. Uh, uh, the list goes on and on and on. Um, March 16th this year. Uh, I would love to go to this someday. Uh, it's a little difficult for me to get to places unless I'm... <laughs> You know, uh, unless I have a gig. Uh, but one of these days, I'm definitely going to come uh, to Flamfest. It, it just seems so cool. And hopefully uh, everyone there will be down to do an interview with me. Uh, one of these days, I'll make it out. Um, thanks for your work, Brandy. And uh, thanks for the call-in question. Oh, I totally forgot to actually answer your question. Uh, I was too busy thinking about uh, old Bobak. Um, I'll keep it short. Uh, I love Kentucky tunes uh, because the form of Kentucky tunes are so interesting. I love that, you know, a typical like square dance tune in the old time canon, to the extent that there is a canon, you know, will have this sort of like basic question and answer format where it'll raise a question. And then it'll restate the question. And then it'll answer. And then the B part will do the exact same thing. But I love how Kentucky tunes, uh, <laughs> they'll ask a question and then they'll restate the question. Then they'll forget the question and then they'll ramble for a while. And then they'll sort of wave their hand and gesture at the idea of an answer. Uh, and all of that is taking place in the form of the tune, and I love just all of the really creative bits of crookedness in Kentucky tunes. Uh, I don't know why they're so different than so many other old-time tunes. My favorite thing that they do is when they uh, have a pickup to a phrase, but usually pickups carve out space from the phrase before, 
but Kentucky tunes often just uh, don't. They complete the full phrase before, and then they'll pick up, and then they'll start the next phrase. And it's it's so interesting (laughs) the way that they're constructed and so disorienting to my sensibilities, but it seems to be completely normative in that setting. And I'm just so fascinated by that, just having completely different rules and expectations around how to make a form. All right, there's my answer. Sorry, it took me so long to get to it. All right, this next question is a write-in question. There's no recording. This is from John Marks. Uh, They say, hey, Cameron, I'd love to hear your version of Davy Come Back and Act Like You Ought To. Great title. Uh, This is the tune that got me interested in Clawhammer banjo. And as for a question, they said, I come from a background of bluegrass banjo where a lot of focus can be on backup patterns and variations. I'm new to Clawhammer banjo and I'm kind of stuck on what to do during a whole song. Do you keep playing the melody? Slight variations of the melody? Bum ditty over the chords? I kind of feel odd playing the same thing over and over, but don't want to go overboard doing a whole lot of other things if it takes away from the focus of the song. I realize I need to get to a jam and see what others are doing, but at this time it eludes me. I hope this question isn't too simple or boring, but I'm a relative newbie, not boring or simple at all. By the way, I'm really enjoying your workshops. Thanks, John. Uh, Thanks so much for coming into my workshops. Uh, John's been participating uh, in my workshops for a little while now. Uh, By the way, I have an upcoming one on old time songs, part two. So John, if your question is about, um, if your question is about songs specifically and not tunes, some people use the word song to refer to any old time piece of old time music, you know. But if you're talking about songs specifically, uh, we're definitely gonna address this in the workshop that you're already signed up for. So that's great. And it doesn't mean I'm not going to answer it a little bit here too, but it'll be more in depth during the uh, workshop series, camerandoit.com slash store to sign up. It's on sale right now, so don't wait. But yeah, uh, in terms of songs, uh, the short answer is just play the same thing over and over again. Old time musicians love that. (laughs) That's like always safe and sometimes... Uh, is the preferred thing for you to do in an old time uh, setting. So if we're talking about playing songs, like if you listen to, you know, Ola Bell Reed, for instance, uh, she plays basically the exact same thing that she sings when she's playing banjo. She just goes back and forth between singing and not singing and plays the same thing uh, both times, more often than not. And everyone loves her. (laughs) So I think that's a, a great option. Um, there are some players who get a little more out there. Um, a, a lot of them, I think, are kind of more modern players. Uh, I mean, even like Peggy Seeker, who isn't the most modern, but is more of a revival player. Uh, if you listen to her banjo playing, like her version of Little Birdie, um, you know, she keeps it fairly basic while she's singing. Um, but then in between sung verses, she's going all up and down the neck and doing all this like really fun, wacky stuff. Uh, Yeah, so she's like kind of playing soloistically in between or maybe in more of like a riff way as opposed to an improvised melody kind of way. Um, So I think that sounds great too. Um, But yeah, I think you can play the same thing over and over again. And I think you'll develop uh, (laughs) a taste for it. And I think a lot of the people you'll be playing with in old time circles 
already have a taste for that. So I think that's great. And you could definitely do that. Slight variations of the melody, also great. Um, when it comes to like chords, I feel like it is better to do a skeleton of a melody than playing chords, like just nailing the chords over and over again, because that's kind of the guitar player's job. And I think that like flirting with chords, you know, just grabbing a little chord and then implying that the chord continues while you go on to play uh, a version of the melody. I think that's often a, a better fit for Clawhammer, but not always. And then the thing that gets really complicated is that not all singing melodies are Clawhammerable, if uh, that is a word. <laughs> they're, they're not all coherent when applied to the Clawhammer banjo because they're uh, beholden to the prosody of the lyrics and that doesn't always translate, it depends on the song. So in that case, I would say, yeah, maybe play chords, but don't just strum the chord the whole time, like break it up, you know, do bum ditties on a chord and place the bum on different uh, notes of the chord and maybe have some, you know, passing tones you know, on your way down. So don't just play chord tones, but like work your way down the scale between chords, kind of like a guitar would. Now, if you're talking about playing tunes, I definitely think uh, staying relatively melodic somewhere, you know, between playing all of the notes and playing just chords is, is great. And it is completely normative and expected for you to do basically the same thing every time. So don't feel odd doing that. Uh, if you feel inspired to do something else, then I say go for it. And I think most people won't mind, um, uh, especially like subtle little variations, or you can take up a lot of space, uh, you know, and make a scene like I often like to do. And that can be fun too. And then maybe it'll make some people grumpy, but it'll make other people really happy. So, uh, you know, uh, follow your heart. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, in general, I, I like to do different versions of the melody. So, you know, you can just get a real skeleton of a melody and focus on implying more chords without just like hammering down on the chords, or you can play a lot of the melody notes. Um, yeah, that's how I would vary it if I were you in the context of a tune. I'll play a song uh, not an old time song, but uh, I'll play a song a little later on in this episode. And uh, yeah, maybe that'll give you some examples of uh, things to do. And it's a, it's not arranged in any way. It's very improvised. So um, yeah, you'll, we'll see if I take my own advice. So as for this tune, Davey, come back and act like you ought to. Again, what a lovely uh, <laughs> tune title. It's so funny. Uh uh, just so relatable. I think we've all had people in our lives who the thing we want to communicate is just like, just stop. <laughs> just like get over it. <laughs> just behave. Uh, so that's a powerful title. Uh, and I really like this tune. I don't think I've ever played it or heard it before. So cool. I love the way that it's crooked. It feels like there's not enough space in between the repetitions of the B part and the transition from the B part to the A part. Uh, so that's like very engaging to me. Uh, yeah, I love that. Thanks for this great recommendation. Here we go.
Thanks again, John Marks, for your suggestion of Davey, come back and act like you ought to. All right, on to the next question here. G'day, g'day, Cameron. It's your buddy George Jackson here, your bandmate from Tall Poppy String Band, if, in case you've forgotten who I am. I uh, thought I'd uh, call up in the cool, or as I like to say, get up in the call and uh, send you a little message here. Um, I'm busy studying for my citizenship exam, my US citizenship exam, which I'm uh, taking next week. So I've got a little got a few questions here for you to help me study this little mini civics uh um survey for you um see uh no cheating okay and see how you go with these ones um we'll see if you're eligible to be a u.s citizen or not uh first question here when was the u.s constitution written you got a answer to that one uh who was the president during World War One? Uh, how many amendments does the Constitution have? And I'll give you one more. Why does the flag have 13 stripes? Well, there you go. Uh, if you've got any good answers to those ones, let me know. Um, I'll uh, put in a request for a tune too. Uh, why don't you give a go to uh, Dry and Dusty? Uh, it's a great tune from the playing of um, J.P. Fraley, or my favourite version uh, is from J.P. Fraley. Uh, we just released this on mine and Tristan's Old Time 100 Volume 1. Uh, so this is a good little jam number uh, that you can find on that one. Uh, Love to hear you play that one, Cameron. So uh, hope you hope you're good, and uh, we'll catch you soon. Hey, George. I do remember <laughs> that we're in a band together, even though we haven't seen each other since November. Uh, I was just uh, playing um, Last of Sizemore. Someone else's Last of Sizemore. I think it was like a Bruce Green Last of Sizemore, uh, and. I was like, oh, that's way different from the Hiram Stamper one that George Jackson taught me. We play it in my band. It goes like this. And then I went to play it, and then I just could not remember <laughs> the highly arranged uh, tune that uh, we professionally recorded uh, together and have uh, performed, like, so many times. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I need to start practicing our tunes again. They have completely left my brain. Um tell you what else has <laughs> completely left my brain uh, are uh, basic facts about uh, U.S. history, um, the ones that we're supposed to know, I guess, in order to be citizens. So, okay, can I even remember the questions that you asked? Um, when was the Constitution written? Uh, my, <laughs> I want to go, I, my, my first answer is like, oh yeah, 1776. But then I'm like, no, I'm pretty sure that was the Declaration of Independence, uh, and not when the Constitution was written. If I remember right, the Constitution was written after the Revolutionary War, but I do not remember the year. Uh, let's uh, check that in real time. When was the Constitution written? Oh my god, yeah, uh, 1787. We were just like improvising uh, for... <laughs> for, uh, I guess, 11 years. Uh, drafted in secret by delegates to the Constitutional Convention during the summer of 
1787. This uh, four-page document signed on 17, uh, September 17th, 1787, established the government of the United States. Okay, cool. So I'm assuming I was taught that at some point uh, and then promptly forgot about it. Um, so sorry, I couldn't be of help there. I think the second question that you <laughs> asked was who was president during World War I? Now, here's what I'll say. First of all, I have this theory and I'm sure I'm not the first person to have this idea. Uh, my theory is that the U.S. education system uh, wants U.S. history to be as sort of dry and boring as possible and to focus on like dates and like proper nouns as opposed to focusing on things that actually have material significance to our lives today and explain uh, our culture and things like that uh, so that so that we don't like actually learn our history and look into it and we can just sort of stay uh, ignorant. I can only assume that that extends to uh, new citizens of our country as well, but I, I bet it works best on the uh, on the children. Uh, so that's what I'll say. First of all, and second of all, World War One, we we didn't really learn that much about World War One. We sort of glossed over it in school. I know that it was a much bigger deal in New Zealand, where George Jackson is from, and uh, in Australia because y'all had the like Anzac forces and. Uh, you participated in that war, and you, I guess, opted out of <laughs> World War II, as far as I understand. And so World War I is like the big, it's the big one that you talk about. Uh, but we sort of were taught about World War I like it was a prologue to World War II, which I guess it kind of was, uh, but it was also <laughs> very, very important in its own right and explained a lot about like, uh, how World War II uh, got started. I honestly think that I was taught to focus on World War II because I, th I think the uh, people who are in charge want me to be focused on identity politics uh, and that kind of justice as opposed to thinking about the banal maneuverings of world powers <laughs> like uh, jockeying for control and influence uh, because I, I think that like that's usually what's going on at the end of the day and all of the other stuff is just strategy for supporting these like ultimately kind of like boring and cynical <laughs> motivations just like gr just boring greed uh, yeah and I, I wish that I was uh, taught that, but it makes sense that I wasn't. I think that there's just like a stronger narrative that we're taught in America, you know, that like we joined World War II to like stop a supervillain uh, from uh, completing a genocidal project. That narrative is a lot more potent than uh, the narratives of World War I, at least how they were explained to me. And that narrative is like, having life or death consequences today over in Palestine. And it's ironically being weaponized to continue a different genocide with the pretense of avoiding another genocide of Jewish people. But I digress. I am not sure. I'm going to go with my gut 
and I think, oh God, this is going to be so embarrassing if I'm wrong. I think that Woodrow Wilson was the president during World War One. Let's check this out. Who was president during World War One? Oh yes, I actually got this right. Okay, uh, Woodrow Wilson, a leader of the progressive movement, was the 28th president of the United States. Uh, from 1913 to 21, after a policy of neutrality at the outbreak of World War I, Wilson led America into war in order to, quote, make the world safe for democracy. Okay, maybe, maybe I'm a little more patriotic than I thought, <laughs> because I know that fact. <sighs> okay, I've got 50% of them right so far. Okay, I believe the next one was how many amendments? And I'm not actually sure. I'm not actually sure about this either. Uh, I guess the 14th Amendment has been coming up a lot recently the because of the insurrection stuff in Colorado and all that. Uh, so we got at least 14. Um, I honestly have no idea how many more than that we have. How many amendments does the Constitution have? And I'm seeing here... Uh, <laughs> There are 27. Wow. <laughs> That's so many more than 14. Uh, I have not kept up with these. Okay. Let's just like, let's just look at a couple. I, I just want to see what these are all about because maybe y'all can learn something too. If you're as ignorant about this as I am by y'all, I mean my fellow Americans. Um, okay. Uh, 15th amendment right to vote, not denied by race. Oh man. I feel embarrassed by not knowing about it. I mean, I knew that one was, I just didn't know it was 15. Um, there's one on income tax, women's right to vote. That was 19. Uh, okay. Let's see. Let's, uh, congressional compensation. Oh, that seems significant. No law varying the compensation for the services of the senators and representatives shall take effect until an election of representatives shall have intervened. Um, interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess that seems important. I am just... I'm, I'm too ignorant about this to know the implications of that or whether that's a good one <laughs> or not. Okay, that's 27. Um, right to vote at age 18. We didn't have that until 26. Okay, I'm learning so much uh, from the prompting of someone who is trying to be a part of our country. Uh, why? Why are you trying to be a part of this country? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I'm grateful. I, 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 we need you. The last one was the 13 uh, stripes in the flag. I am pretty sure that I know this one and that it's the colonies because we had 13 original colonies. Uh, let's check this. Uh, what are the 13 stripes all about? Okay. The stripes represent the original 13 colonies and the stars represent the 50 states of the union. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally, I totally got that. Okay, but here's the question. Do I know what the original 13 colonies are? Okay, uh, original 13 colonies. Um, I'm not going to look at the... I'm just going to see if I can name them. I think that Maine was one. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say New Hampshire, Vermont, and Massachusetts, and New York, and definitely Pennsylvania. That's a big one. Uh, and I also think... New Jersey, Delaware. And then I think Virginia is just one. That's nine. I feel... <laughs> I get. I start getting really ignorant when we get to the Southeast. 
I want to say Carolina was just one. And then that's 10. And then, uh, oh, shoot. Um, is Georgia one of them? And then uh, Florida? And then there would, be, there would be one more. And I don't even know. Maybe North and South Carolina were separate ones. That's what I'm going to go with that. Okay, let's see. Uh, let's check this out. I'm looking at the uh, actual government website here. Here we go. By the 1700s, most of the settlements had formed into 13 British colonies. Connecticut, Delaware, Georgia, Maryland. Oh my God, I left out Maryland. <laughs> I don't think I said Maryland. I think I just said New Jersey and Delaware. Uh, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, New York, New Jersey, Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island. Okay, I left out Rhode Island. Jake Blunt, I'm so sorry. Uh, Vox Hunters, I'm so sorry I left out, <laughs> left out your lovely state. Um, okay, that's super embarrassing. I left out some really obvious ones, Maryland and Rhode Island. After I, I said that I was really ignorant about the Southeast, I was just overconfident. I've played shows in these states. I've driven through them. I lived in Pennsylvania. I should know these things. Okay. Oh my God. Uh, okay, so <laughs> George... I appreciate your rhetorical goals in asking this question. And I think we have all learned something. Our immigration system is broken. And I don't necessarily think you should have to know any of this stuff uh, in order to be a citizen. Uh, but I think that your knowledge of old time fiddlers should be enough. And you shouldn't have to know any of this shit that you're asking me. That's just my personal opinion. Please become a citizen and fix our country for us. We need your help. Thank you. All right, let's move on to something I actually know about, which is tunes. Uh, yeah, this dry and dusty from JP Fraley is so cool. I love this. Okay, so for for y'all who don't know about the old time 100, please go listen to George's episode about it last year, sometime in the spring. And at some point, I'll have Tristan Scroggins on as well to talk about the old time 100. Uh, it's such a cool project. Uh, it's such a lovely resource. And a thing that I really appreciate about it is that it takes a really common tunes or common tune names, at least like dry and dusty or big coyote, but the versions in old time 100 are more specific to the original source recordings, which I think is really cool because I love festival versions of tunes, jam versions of tunes, but a lot of the interesting stuff gets sanded off. A lot of the little sharp edges and eccentricities of these tunes disappear when they are folk processed uh, through large groups of people playing over decades. And some of the things that are left behind, I, you know, I could do without. <laughs> and some of those things that are left behind are really special and interesting. And uh, For instance, in the Big Coyote that we played on George's Old Time 100 episode, uh, it has this whole extra phrase uh, in, the, in the B part. It kind of extends it and it makes it feel a little less like dramatic and like like there's a little less like functional harmony than you typically hear at an old time jam or especially like a bluegrass version of Big Coyote and it feels more old time and I'm just so grateful that I have heard that version of that tune now and it's renewed my interest in it. So George and Tristan and co 
uh, play versions that are closer to the source recording and 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 they highlight the eccentricities of these performances in these source recordings, but they're more accessible because they're uh, presumably A440. I'm pretty sure that all the old time 100 are, you know, tuner tuned. Uh, so you can play along with the recordings instead of having to tune your instrument up or down a few cents in order to play along with these source recordings. So it's kind of the best of both worlds. It's very accessible and interesting. So I love that this resource is out there and I think that everyone should be joining George's and Tristan's Patreons and listening to the Old Time 100. I think they just released the volume one of recordings. Let me check that real quick. Yes, here it is. Uh, here's what's on the on volume one. I'll just uh, read some highlights here. We got Waynesboro, we got Lazy John, Last Chance, Dry and Dusty, Garfield's Blackberry, Blossom, Policeman, Streak of Lean, Streak of Fat. Uh, there's so many tunes on here. Fire in the Mountain, uh, Whiteface, Tennessee Breakdown, uh, Greasy Coat. Just great standard tunes, but played very intentionally uh, while bringing back some of the things that maybe have been lost. And this Dry and Dusty is no different. Uh, this is a lovely version of Dry and Dusty. I had never heard J.P. Fraley's version of it. Um, this is a little tangent. Uh, <laughs> we were at Wintergrass a couple years ago and uh, one of the groups was playing Dry and Dusty and George was like, huh, this is a cover. And normally we don't use the word cover to describe old time tunes, right? You know, because uh, they're for everyone, you know, but George was like, this is a Britney Haas cover. They're playing dry and dusty, just like the arrangement on the Britney Haas album. Uh, isn't that funny that the source of dry and dusty for a lot of people is Britney Haas and specifically like this whole intro. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that before. And that's great because it's a great version, uh, but it's really lovely to hear another version of Dry and Dusty. Uh, and the, the differences are subtle, but I think they're really nice, especially like the last phrase in the A part. I'm about to play it for y'all. Um, and uh, just like the little, the little differences, I think are really nice. So without further ado, Here's J.P. Fraley's Dry and Dusty. Thanks, George, and see you soon.
Thanks again, George. Okay, this next question is from Paul Reed. Hey, Paul. Hey, Cameron. Thanks so much for doing these Call Up in the Cool episodes. I have an unconventional request. This is not an old-time tune, but it's uh, it's in honor of two musicians. So uh, Taylor Ashton is playing today in Portland, Oregon, and he has uh, a cover that he does of a Joni Mitchell song, All I Want. And it's beautiful, and I can't figure out the tuning. Uh, I've I figured out the key that it's in. It's an E, I believe, but I can't figure out uh, what the tuning is on banjo. And I even reached out to the great Hilary Burhens uh, to see if she could uh, uh, figure it out. And she, just listening to the tune, she didn't actually try to parse it. She suggested it might be in uh, Cumberland Gap type tuning or or... I believe it is uh, Sandy River Bell tuning. Anyway, if you uh, if you can figure it out, I would be thrilled to be able to play that that song. So, uh, thanks again for taking a listen. God, this is such a great cover of this song. Uh, his playing and his singing is so beautiful, and the way it's produced is so great and creative. Uh, yeah, like singing Joni Mitchell songs is so hard. Uh, <laughs> because uh, um, her singing is so singular. And I think Taylor Ashton does such a great job at singing stuff that he's really good at singing and making it feel whimsical in the same way that Joni Mitchell would, but for a different instrument. I mean, the instrument of his voice. And obviously, like, obviously he's playing a different instrument as well. He's playing the banjo. I think he's in standard tuning, uh, tuned down to E. I just think he's in standard tuning. And uh, I, I don't think it's Sandy River Bell because it goes down to a low B note. And if you're in Sandy River Bell tuning, playing in the key, uh, you know, but like tuned down so that you could play in the key of E as if you were in the key of G, your lowest note, I guess, would be a C sharp. But uh, his lowest note goes all the way down. Uh, he definitely has an E on the fifth string. And he's got definitely a first string that is a B as well, because you hear him playing that a lot. Now, the thing that made me question what tuning this was in is the second string, because you don't hear major thirds ringing out, which is you know, the classic sound of playing in standard tuning. Uh, but what you do hear, now I'm not in E at the moment, I'm in something, I'm just tuned to myself. You hear this, figure a lot in his playing. I'm sorry, everyone, I can't put sound samples in here because I don't want to, uh, whatever search and destroy algorithms Apple Podcasts has, I don't want them to cancel my podcast for putting licensed music in, um, or like the actual recordings, because I think they could probably detect that. But you hear Taylor playing, where is the note? I'm, I'm on a fretless at the moment, so. <laughs> he plays this figure. in between the phrases a lot uh, while he's breathing. Um, and I think what he's doing, I think he just has a finger down on uh, the third fret of the second string so that he can get this unison. And then he's getting the like, the bass notes by, uh, like that. Sorry, my intonation is, <laughs> <laughs> not not great because I haven't tried to figure out how to play this song uh, just like he does, but you get the idea. So the, the tuning that I, I believe he is in is standard G tuned down to E. So that would mean uh, from 
Well, the way most people write this out is from fifth string to first string, so let's do that. So it would be lowercase e, and then from low to high, uh, b, e, g sharp, b. And then I think he's just got a finger down on that second string. Uh, so that's my theory. I'm curious to see if, oh, I think you may have texted me back. Maybe you were able to actually ask him at the show. Okay, let's see, you said sorta. I didn't quite understand his answer as he was more broad rather than just the one song. He said a lot of his tunings are in G and capoed. I think that's it. Um, so yeah, I think this would technically be the opposite of capoing, but I think it is in standard tuning. So that's that's my theory. I'm sticking to it. I'm pretty sure that's what he's in. Now, you didn't technically give me a tune request. Maybe there was an implicit request for me to play and sing all I want. Uh, but now I just feel uh, embarrassed <laughs> because uh, this version is so good. So I would feel kind of like uh, silly uh, trying to do a Kalheimer banjo version of uh, all I want after he did it so expertly. Um, so I'm going to do something sillier, which is I'm going to do a uh, Clawhammer version of Case of You, <laughs> which is arguably an even more beloved song for me to uh, uh, ruin potentially. Uh, but uh, as far as I know, there isn't a popular banjo version of it. So I'm not going to be compared <laughs> to anyone other than Joni Mitchell, which is fine. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not trying to sing like Joni Mitchell. Uh, no one's gonna hold me to that. Um, and I'm definitely not going to do like just so much blackface <laughs> like she did. So, so the pressure's off uh, in, in, in a couple areas. Okay, here's, uh, here's my version of Case of You on uh, my new fretless banjo from uh, Matthew Lynn, who was just on last week. Thanks again, Matthew. Uh, I'm doing every tune and song this episode uh, on this lovely banjo. I'm just having such a great time with it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Constant as the northern star, constantly in the darkness. Where's that at? If you want me, home in the bar. On the back of a cartoon coaster, in the blue TV screen light, I drew a map of Canada. Devil and 
control of those ones that ain't free. Remember when you told me that it's touching souls? Surely you touch mine. Part of you pours out of me these lines from time to time. You're in my blood, like holy wine. It tastes so bitter and so sweet. Okay, last one. Here's a question from Rachel Krauss. Hey, Cameron. This is Rachel Krauss. I hope you're doing well. I have a tune request for you, and that is I would love to hear you play your favorite square dance tune. Um, as you know, I organize a gender-inclusive, queer-centered dance in Kansas City called the Oddball Hoedown, and I'm always looking to add new tunes to my repertoire that are both fun to play and and fun for dancers to dance to so that's my request uh thank you for all of your work and all you do to support the old time community i hope i get to see you sometime this year and yeah all right take care thanks rachel i hope i get to see you sometime this year too i would love to come to the oddball hoedown at some point it just sounds like so much fun and right up my alley. Uh, and I love this question. Um, so yeah, for square dance tunes, I, I actually just played a square dance last night and I really love playing crooked tunes at a square dance. Uh, I know that probably some square dance callers prefer square tunes and they actually want it to line up, but I know that a lot of them, it's more about just the rhythm and the drive and not necessarily about the form. Uh, so I played, um, oh, what was that gray eagle? 
it's one of the gray eagles. Is it, uh, what's his name? Thomas Dillon, gray eagle? Let me see if that's, if that's a thing. Um, yeah, Thomas Dillon's gray eagle. Uh, and it has this sort of like meandering like phrase that makes it crooked in the B part. Uh, and I really enjoyed playing with that. Um, but in general, I think the thing that I like the most is any tune that has a strong anticipated note, because that means that no matter how fast you're playing, it has this forward momentum because if you're playing the first note of each phrase, you know, before beat one, then it just feels that much more forward and energetic and fast. And I really love that. So I'm just going to pick a tune that does that. Uh, I learned this great tune called Halifax from Kate Gregory. Uh, Kate Gregory and I and um, Jonathan Roberts, who some of you uh, got to hear uh, when they accompanied me uh, at the Old Growth Old Time Festival, um, we're starting a contra dance band and we have our first dance scheduled for, I think it's March 8th in uh, at the Emerald City, uh, the Seattle contra dance at the Finney Center. And we're called Church for Dogs. Uh, that's a name that I came up with that I was very proud of. Uh, and we're going to play this tune, Halifax, and Kate showed this to me. And at least the way that Kate plays it, I don't know where it's from, but she plays every phrase with a strong anticipation of the first note. And I think that kind of thing is just so exciting to dance to. And I'm excited to see how people respond to it on the dance floor, even though we'll be doing contras instead of uh, squares. I think maybe you said that the oddball hoedown does both. Is that slander? Do you do both? <laughs> that was my impression. Anyway, thanks for the tune request. This is going to be the end of the episode. This is the fifth tune. So I'll just say thanks to everyone who wrote in and uh, shout out to people who have things to uh, promote. So Rachel Krause's Oddball Hoedown and uh, Brandy's uh, Flamfest and uh, George Jackson's Old Time 100. I'll put links to all that stuff in the show notes. Oh, and I guess also Taylor Ashton. <laughs> Go listen to that uh, album of lovely banjo covers. Uh, I think it's called Pizza Tickets. Uh, there's some, there's, <laughs> he does like Hand in My Pocket from Alanis Morissette. There's some great stuff in there. You should go check it out. Uh, yeah, thanks for listening, everyone. Come back same time next week to get up in the cool. Oh, and I'm not going to play uh, Halifax right now at uh, full dancing speed because I don't think it works as a solo banjo piece really fast. Uh, so here it is at a reasonable tempo for now. Speed it up when you take it to a dance. BYO tempo.
is just in. I am proud to announce here on Get Up in the Cool that George Jackson has just passed his citizenship test for the United States of America. He'll be sworn in in a couple of months, and uh, presumably he'll have to forsake <laughs> New Zealand. <laughs> so I thought um, as a special little bonus, I can include one thing that the American educational system did teach one of its citizens as a child. I can only assume, George, that you had to perform a rendition of this traditional folk song. Here it goes. Here is uh, Becca DeWitt, my dear partner, who started singing this when we were discussing your test after you sent me your submission. Enjoy. Okay, George. So I was <laughs> telling Becca about your question, and they started singing this. 50 nifty United States from the 13 original colonies. Shout them, spout them, tell all about them. I'm not sure about that part. <laughs> one by one till we've given a name to every state in the good old USA. But the part that we didn't get to is that you then proceed to go Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas. Do you want me to do the whole thing? Do you know all of them? Yeah. Just from the song? I think so. Okay, yeah. Do you want to test it yeah. out? Alabama, Alaska, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Colorado, Connecticut, Delaware, Florida, Georgia, Hawaii, <laughs> Idaho, Illinois, Indiana. <laughs> this is the most incoherent melody ever written. <laughs> Iowa, Kansas, Kentucky, Louisiana, Maine, Maryland, Massachusetts, Michigan, Michigan, Minnesota, Mississippi, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, Nevada, New Hampshire, New Jersey, New Mexico, New York, North Carolina, North Dakota, Ohio. Oklahoma, Oregon, Pennsylvania, Rhode Island, South Dakota, South Carolina, Are these Tennessee, al Texas, order. yeah, Utah, Vermont, Virginia, no Washington, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming. There you go. I learned something for my public education in the U.S. Something valuable. It's a cricket something team. enduring. George, you should learn that. Yeah, it'll help you in many ways in your life. I can confidently all citizens you. know this. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>